You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this very special episode of my first show celebrating the Tony season that was, question mark, wasn't, is, is, is. Um, we are here today with two extraordinary artists who made an extraordinary play uh, last season that I was lucky enough to be at the opening night of and became a big fan of. Mostly because I couldn't explain it when I would tell people about it. I couldn't properly find the words for the excruciatingly hilarious, painful, serious, of the moment topic that it covered and made me think and feel and change. Um, and that's slave play. That's the play. The play that we don't have words to describe. We, we you know... So we're going to spend an hour and find those words to describe because um, it is a really special moment in our theatrical history. And uh, thank you for being here today to talk about Slave Play, Robert O'Hara and Atu Blankson-Wood. Hi, guys. Thank you. Hi there. Hi. Hi, Eva. Uh, well, it's very interesting to think about your play having the moment it had in 2019. I think about how the world has obviously changed and changed so much in 2020 and 2021. So I'd love to start off, as I do every episode, asking how you each are, how you're doing. And if you could talk about how you relive and rethink about your play and your experience with that play in these times, I, and I know the audience would love to know more. Robert, let's start with you. I'm doing very well. Uh, I am uh, lucky enough to have a, an, an, another home upstate that I can go to and that I've been at for some time uh, throughout the pandemic. Uh, and, you know, you're right that Slave Play continues to uh, live on in various ways. Um, you know, we have a running thread among uh, me and Jeremy and the cast, and we're always checking in and making sure everyone is uh, well. And, and safe. Um, but it's difficult to talk about plays and difficult to think about plays uh, in this time. And, uh, and, and you know, so I, I'm conflicted in uh, the celebration of it all. Uh, and also I'm overjoyed 
in the celebration of it all. So I, I want to hold both spaces uh, for the play. Which is kind of fitting because the play is about holding spaces for conflicting ideas and yes. different feelings. And so that that works, that tracks, Robert. I, I get that. How, how about you, Atu? Uh, I'm doing well. Um, it has been, I, um, I have, I moved to Los Angeles March 8th of last year. Mm. Um, and uh, so it has been a very strange transition to a new place. Um, and also this longing I've been having for, you know, New York and the theater and all of that, like Robert is saying, you know, there's a, it's, it's difficult to talk about cause it feels like a, a, I don't know if, uh, a long distant friend or something that you just, you haven't been able to contact in some time. And so there's this longing as well. Um, but uh, I, I feel really blessed to be out here. I'm, I'm near family. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I've just, uh, I've just been taking this time to sort of get, get really still and, uh, and think about, you know, what's important to me, not only in my life, but also in the art, also artistically. Um, but yeah, I am, um, with regard to slave play, it's just, um, it's really kind of amazing how prescient the play is and how, um, and just uh, how it's continued to sort of unfold in my life. Um, just uh, not only the, the topics of race that are discussed, but specifically to my character, you know, the the idea of how one values themselves and how they believe they are valued in the world. Um, and, you know, not having, not having this artistic outlet that has sort of pinned much of my identity to um, has really forced me to also look about, look at how I value myself and how I feel I'm valued in the world. So that has sort of been a, a running theme for me this mm -hmm. year. Yeah. And, can we talk about the year a bit? Yeah. Can what what have you been doing? How has it affected you? What how has it changed you? How has it made you look at the American theater and your history in it and your future in it? Yeah, I mean I have been um, you know, the the film and TV industry is really trying to putter along here, so like they're really trying to do things. So like I I have been auditioning quite a bit um and that's kind of keeping me artistically alive but also i've been looking to my own projects and looking at how i can be a generative artist which i don't think i would have thought about um had we not had this shutdown i think something that's been confirmed for me is also is that i am a I'm a theater creature like that. That is, that was my first love. That's how I came to performing and it's in me. It's really, really in me. I'm not sure what the future of it looks like, but I do know that my love for it is deep and, and, and hopefully when it does come back, um, you know, I, I, I would like to engage with it in a different way. You know, I'd like to engage with it as a, as a generative artist, as someone who is not just waiting for a job to show up, but also is involved in shaping, um, you know, my career and the theater itself. It, it's interesting to think that being black and being queer and making work about that topic, those topics yeah. was viewed probably two years ago, three years ago, Robert, when you guys started staging, developing and 
and when you first directed Slave Play at New York Theatre Workshop, was scary. Scary for artistic directors and producers and audience members. Now it feels like the Black queer experience and story is necessary to be heard and told. Is People are fighting to, to hold space to tell those stories and to make sure those stories are seen and heard. What, what, what do you think about that? What's your take on that idea? Well, you know, I've always lived in that space. Yeah. <laughs> I've always lived black and queer. So yeah. it yes. hasn't been, it's not new for me. I think what we're really talking about is white folks. Correct. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, people in power. That's right. Uh, and so I think that it's like being in a room uh, all your life uh, around a bunch of people. And then all of a sudden they turn and they say, oh, wait a second, you're here? You're, you're, still, <laughs> wait a totally. you're still here? Uh, so I I uh, I find it to be quite uh, fabulous, but you know no one gets a hero cookie because you know we've been here and we've been telling these stories and I've had to find uh, black queer stories outside of uh, the mainstream of theaters to in order to keep myself going as an artist. Uh, but also that is not the totality of my experience in life. So you know there is that sort of you know celebration of it but also as a yes and as they say uh in the play so yeah absolutely i'm excited to talk to you guys about this next topic one of the many firsts that slave play brought to broadway was the blackout for the first time in history all 804 seats of broadway's golden theater were occupied by black identifying audience members in communion celebration and recognition of Broadway's rich, diverse, and fraught history of Black work. Uh, Atu, what was it like to perform that night? It was, it was, uh, it was deeply affirming. You know, the, I feel like um, much of what the play discusses is how you feel a little gaslit when it comes to um, your experience as a, a black person, as a queer person. Um, yes, this experience that Robert's talking about, about being in a room and people turning and being like, oh, oh, there you are. Um, there was something, there was something, um, yeah, really affirming. And I felt really uh, seen for the first time in a way that I hadn't felt on stage. Um, yeah, I, I, what I realized was, um, was that it's really it's important to have these affirmations as well. I had just come off of a show where, you know, I've been doing, yes, theater that is Black and queer for quite some time. Um, but the experience of doing it for an audience that understands that experience, um, yeah, it was just deeply affirming. Yeah, you know, I remember being... Um in the audience and I went to my seat and immediately I said, we're not starting on time. We're not even starting anywhere near <laughs> time. because there was a communion happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, people were, uh, it was like, you know, church really. And people were literally in the aisles talking to people who they hadn't seen uh, people who they worked with. Um, so there was a, 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 a almost a you know a revival feeling of it you know an anticipation yeah. because of course everyone was not there because they were excited to see the play and there was a lot of uh, um, you know uh, um, justified criticism of mm. what was this thing called slave play on Broadway mm-hmm. 
So there was a, a, a huge sense, I think, of skepticism, but there was grace in the room too, which mm-hmm. I found to be really wonderful. And it's something just to be in a room where people are actually um, following the journey of the BIPOC and Black characters and not just simply watching it, but mm-hmm. that can actually, that are living it with them in a different way than if you have mm-hmm. a predominantly you know, white audience. Uh, so those characters began to pop for the audience in a different way. It's just, you know, it's, 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 you know, being in a community that sees you and that recognizes your, uh, uh, journey as their own, um, uh, is quite thrilling. So that was fun for the blackout. And this revival, this revival, that that's like the perfect word, Robert, mm. because also just like being on the stage and having people respond, it felt, it really did feel like church, right? People just shouting out and, and it <laughs> and felt like amens and hallelujahs. Yes. They stopped yes. the several times. Several times, <laughs> you know, and. And there was, you know, and like you were saying, this mo- this feeling that like we wouldn't start on time. There was also like I was like, this play is going to be the longest it has ever been. <laughs> <laughs> right, the stage badge report is like three hours. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And it probably was because then I think there was a talk back afterwards, and then yeah, you know, they filled the street like and would not yes like, like yes just out in the street talking. You know, so we had sort of taken over not only Broadway theater, but the Broadway street, you know, in front Amen. of them. So yeah. it was quite fascinating and fun. That's amazing. Yeah. And and what I, I'm envisioning what might have also felt so, I mean, a million different feelings for, for the actors on stage, but that final scene when the giant, or when the mirrored wall and Clint's set reflects. Mm-hmm what is being reflected back as an entire black audience versus mm-hmm. probably many of those nights uh, too. It was a yeah. largely white audience. What yes. was that like? Um, it was like, um, it was like having your entire, whoa, I'm getting emotional. That's weird. Um, <laughs> it was like having your entire family there, your entire lineage there. It was like, it was like being, it was like hearing the words, yes over and over and over again you know even yeah. through the 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 pain of the of the play it was like hearing yes show us this pain we understand this pain you have freedom to show us this pain it was just it was a big yes which felt and that, incredible and that you you deserve to be here this is yes. your space Take yes. the space. You own the space. You know, not that we were sort of like, you know, somehow sneaking in the space in the back door and hoping that no one notices up. But no, to take all the space on Broadway that we wanted yeah. and needed. Um, it was that type of grace in the audience. I feel. Yes. What's your hope for Broadway's future, Robert? Oh, well, I hope that they come back with more interesting and exciting and diverse and uh, uh, stories. Uh, and I hope that they don't sort of like, you know, fall into the trap of being uh, afraid uh, mm. and, and, and um, you know, the focus, because of course Broadway is uh, um, a commercial venture, you know? Yeah. So uh, we knew <laughs> from the start, A, that we were going to be closing, at a certain time and that we were going to be making no money, you know, 
at a certain, uh, at, from the beginning of Slave Play because mm-hmm. we wanted, it was about offering the opportunity. You know, the, the tickets were uh, lowered, um, the capacity, free things were handed out, you know, blackout nights. So we actually didn't have that struggle with the commercial sphere of mm-hmm. trying to, you know, uh, make sure we get as much money as possible this week, you know. So I hope that there are more journeys like that uh, that can populate uh, a Broadway uh, because, you know, there will always be phantoms and Les Mis and, and all of that, but there also needs to be um, other avenues of engagement because we, we use Broadway as an example of theater. We tell the world that the best play and the best musical of the year happened to be on these four, these these few blocks of Broadway, mm-hmm. which is of course inherently a lie. But if we're going to say that this is where the best theater is, then we should actually have the best theater there. Mm-hmm. Yes, Oof. yes to that. I agree with that. Well, let's let's dial back to everyone's humble beginnings of early. <laughs> theater and the love for theater and what was maybe at one point seemingly the best theater. And that's the first show that you ever saw. Atu, let's start with you. It would be, it would be my sister's, my oldest sister's high school production of Bye Bye Birdie. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Because I, I just remember sitting in the audience and I, I must've been maybe five, five years old, five or six years old. Um, and just thinking people can, people can do that with their time and energy. And, and, and there was like some like click of like, that's, that's what I'm supposed to be doing. Mm. I I just knew it. And yeah, all these years later, I, 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 I remember just sitting there and feeling that, you know, all of this energy that I had, you know, I was a, I, I, I was a pretty shy kid, but in the home when I was comfortable, I, I left to make noise. And like, I was quoted as a, as a kid as saying like, I love making noise. Like that was my, my go-to <laughs> phrase. <laughs> um, and to understand that I could channel that and put that somewhere. Like that was, that was the first time I realized that. And I'll never forget my sister was in a full head to toe red leotard. Um, <laughs> Was she kid? Was just, Who was she? I don't. I don't remember. <laughs> I ha, I have no idea. Um, but um, I just remember being like, she looks amazing, and she's under <laughs> these lights, and I want to do that. I just yeah, and uh, yeah, it was it was Springbrook High School's production of Bye Bye Birdie. <laughs> Bye Bye Birdie has inspired has inspired more theatrical careers than it deserves Surely. to. Is my Agreed. I can I can point to one as well. Robert, how about you? Well, you know, uh, my grandmother used to call me the ringleader um, because I would always get the grandkids, you know, dancing and singing and playing around and in the backyard or whatever because I was one of the older grandkids, um, and so I never really thought of that as something that you know to be aspired to. You know, you shouldn't aspire to be the ringleader. It was always a reprimand. Like, he's the ringleader of all of it. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Richard than the West, like, the ringleader's over there. Get him. Um, And, you know, but so I was always writing and always, like, creating stuff. But I guess one of the things that is sort of, like, my first really experience that meant something to me was one that I was directly involved in, that I had 
I had decided in the sixth grade to write an adaptation of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. And I named it Ebony and the Seven Cool Cats. Uh, because there were literally there was literally one white person in my entire class of uh, I think five hundred, you know, uh, sixth graders. And if that. Uh, and uh, so I wrote it and I, I remember one day going to my teacher because it was always the sixth grade production of something, you know. And I said to one of my my home teachers, I said, Well, I wrote this play and I don't know if it's interesting, but I think maybe we could do this. And she read it and she was like, yes, we can do this. I just remember that experience. And, and because I don't remember being in it, I remember working on it. And at one point I remember um, telling the person playing the evil witch when they, they sing uh, uh, Diana Ross's Mira Mira on the wall. <laughs> and, at, and at another time, Ebony saying, I'm coming out. Um, and I was just like, there's something really amazing about this. But then I would look in the audience and the, all the parents would be like, there's something really <laughs> off <laughs> about this. So that was my first experience and going, oh, I see I can affect the audience just by what they say on the stage, which is profound, right? Because usually kids are on stage and if you're a kid, everyone's like, you know, looking at their kid and like, you know, smiling and snapping pictures or whatever. But that you could sort of galvanize a room based on a musical choice or um, a costume piece. So that was sort of uh, my sixth grade class um, with Ebony and the Seven Cool Cats that I didn't have permission to adapt at all. <laughs> no, <laughs> no rights were granted in that in that production, but all were you, Robert. Yes. Robert, I need I, I need a copy of this script ASAP. You I know what I mean. <laughs> but what's kind of amazing is is that production, Robert has a connective thread to slave play. I mean, you use pop music in all sorts of shocking and exemplifying ways. You, you know, you rattled your audience to tell a story that they weren't expecting and to subvert. I mean, have you, had you thought about in the past that there is a, a, a thread from that early experience to your latest one? I think there's a thread just because of who I am and how I see the world and how I walk through the world as a queer black man. Uh, mm -hmm. that, you know, there are things that, you know, I think uh, queer kids, you know, latch on to mm -hmm. in order to yeah. get through whatever they have to get through. And uh, many of those things are people who are, you know, a little odd, like themselves yeah. mm -hmm. and things mm -hmm. that sort of like, you know, I, I was obsessed with Michael Jackson and when other people were saying he's odd, you know. Um, so I think, you know, being othered as a kid even without knowing who you are, but other people othering you attaches you to people who have been othered in, uh, in the world. Yeah. And I, Robert, I have this like, uh, image of you as a sixth grader saying what you said on our stage that I think that first preview of one, uh, which was, if you have come here expecting comfort, you may not have it. I will not give it to you. Like, I just imagine you saying that as a sixth grader to that audience, which was about to be, they were about to be, like you said, unsettled by watching this play. And I had, of course, no idea. I just knew I wasn't going to have a bunch of, uh, you know, white kids doing Snow White. I mean, black kids doing Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. I mean, we had nothing but black kids. So obviously it had to be a black adaptation. I didn't know I was right. doing something, uh, you know, outrageous to make Snow White into a, a black woman named Ebony. You know, <laughs> but uh, in retrospect, it was slightly outrageous to turn the dwarfs into the seven cool cats. 
you know, yeah. and give them a particular type of language in life. Wow. At age 11, you knew who you were. It's impressive. Even if you didn't know, you knew. <laughs> right. That's amazing. So first shows you were in Atu, was that a amateur? Was that a professional show? What, what was the it first was, show? It was the second grade play at Cannon Road Elementary School. It was Johnny Appleseed. <laughs> oh, God. Um, and I played Johnny Appleseed. I split the I split the role with my with my best friend at the time, Nathan Young. But and it's interesting, Robert. There's some parallel here in that in that you know Johnny Appleseed is this like very American, uh, like it, it's like a American Americana like legend, right? And you had two young black boys playing mm. these roles, you know, and I. I, I also went back to think about it and I was like, at the time Johnny Appleseed happened, <laughs> these two boys would have been slaves, you know? Right. <laughs> so right. I, in retrospect, I'm like, wow, I don't think I, I mean, I don't think I would, as, a, as an eight-year-old, like I was aware of the audience's um, response, but I'm, I'm sure that that was picked up by some adults, you know, at least in the audience. And, and and now in retrospect, I'm like, that's, that's really amazing to me that, that that happened. And do you think it was a deliberate thing or was there, were there black, white people in your class? Oh yes. There were, there were a lot, there were a lot of white people in the, in the, in in our, in our class. Um, But Nathan Young and I were the best singers in the, in the, in the, in the class. So like, you know, I don't think it was like, yeah. I, I don't know that it was necessarily like a very pointed and like racial choice, but uh-huh. I know that we were the, we were the best ones. That's actually quite an interesting thread as well from from your start to 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 slave play too. If you think yeah, about it. yeah, um, that's interesting. What what about you, Robert? Was was uh, Ebony and the no. seven old hats your first or were no, you? I was I was an old hat by then. <laughs> <laughs> I was doing all the shows by then. No, um, I just wasn't writing. Um, I guess my first my first memory of being on the stage was uh, in the first or the second grade, just like Atu, um, but in uh, Hansel and Gretel. Mm-hmm. And I was neither Hansel nor Gretel. Instead, I was supposed to wear something brown so I could be a tree stump. Oh. And so I was a tree stump. And I remember... <laughs> Gretel having to sit on me. Now I may be making it up, but I remember Gretel having to sit on me, and I was like, "Oh no, we can't be doing this." I, I won't be <laughs> gag. And it was a realization. That, Wait a second, I have no lines, and she's gonna sit on me. No. <laughs> but it's like when you have like like nine hundred kids, and everybody has to have a part. Like there were trees, there were rocks, and you had to like wear green if you're gonna be the top of a tree. Like you know. So I just remember having to wear brown or dark colors and be a, a, a tree stump. Uh, and I knew, so instead of like going, oh my God, this is what I want to do. I was like, oh no, this is, I won't be doing this part anymore. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. <laughs> Robert, were you one of very few black kids? In, yes. Yeah. In the were first you the grade. only? No, 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 no. Uh, I think that there was a, um, there was a hefty mix, I guess, because mm-hmm. if I'm talking about the first grade, yeah, because then I went to Catholic school in the third grade, and then I went to a predominantly black school in... Mm-hmm. Uh, um, in the fourth and fifth and sixth grade, uh, but at that point, I, I, you know, it was a pretty mixed group of people uh, mm-hmm. in the first grade. But it was like everyone had to have a part. And you know, Hansel and Gretel, how many characters are in there? Hansel, I mean, there's three, like the Hansel three Gretel, I can think of, and, yeah. and a witch. So, <laughs> and they're walking through a forest. So, you know, some uh, half the <laughs> the school has to be a forest. You know, right. so it's not like. And I just was like a little bit, my ego, because I guess I thought I was the prize and that no one should be uh-huh. sitting there. If you look around, 900 other students are rocks and tree stumps too. You know, <laughs> I'm the only tree stump going, wait a second, you guys sit on me. Right, right. Well, your your directorial vision in place was beginning to show and that's right. that's a good thing. That's a good thing. What about first professional shows, um, Robert? Why don't Why don't we start with you? The first one you got paid to, and whether this is directing or acting in, but but paid, be it through dinner, through money, through whatever it is, but it was a professional gig. Oh, well, I was never an actor professionally. That was out of my system very early, um, <laughs> right out of graduate school. I mean, right out of college, really. It was like, oh no, bless you. Um, I'm going to go that direction. Um, so my first professional gig, well, really, it was it would be uh, the uh, you know, uh, the internship and in graduate school because we were getting paid uh, mm. to, to to assist because uh, I and went to Columbia as a director. Uh, who who was that? What what production was that? It was um, Taswell Thompson doing. I think. Um, Holiday Heart or something. I think it was Cheryl L. West's play at Manhattan Theater Club. All I remember is after we, I was there on the first day. On the second day of rehearsal, Taswell says everyone is out. We're not having anybody else in the rehearsal uh, for the until tech. And so that was literally because apparently there were some issues with the actors or whatever, and sort of who was in the room with them or whatever. But so I was like, oh, but does that include me? Because I. <laughs> Your assistant, he said, "Yes, you." And so, it's like my my first professional gig was not being in the room for <laughs> the entire uh, rehearsal process. And after that, uh, wow. my my I guess I really started at the public theater uh, in my um, internship uh, in, in George Wolf's office. Uh, so that was mm-hmm. my first gig, and he also um, uh, had me assist uh, Danny Sullivan uh, and Adrian Hall for mm. um, two productions in Shakespeare in the Park. So I guess that was really the first time that I was yeah. sort of on a major uh, project, uh, yeah. not necessarily as a writer or a director, but mainly as assistant. And and assisting for George, I mean, was that just one of the dreams coming true to, you know, be a young black guy who's 
looking to be a director and here's this unbelievable talent. And- oh, absolutely. I mean, I eventually did assist him on uh, Blade of the Heat and Bring in the Noise, uh, Bring in the Funk. Uh, but I had, you know, one of those seminal experiences in the uh, American theater was watching Jelly's Last Jam yeah. uh, on Broadway. And it just blew me through the back of the, the, the theater. Um, and so, and also in college, I, you know, had experienced his, uh, uh, his play, uh, The Color Museum, and was in a production of it uh, in, in the place in, in college. And so uh, having, being able to be in his presence and not only being in his presence, but to be mentored by him right out of, uh, of school um, was really tremendous. And uh, in all ways, you know, because, you know, it, it wasn't easy. Yeah, George, George is a taskmaster, so it wasn't like, you know, come here, little grasshopper, and let, sit on my lap, and I'll tell you all the things about the world that you should know. No, it was, you know, um, very uh, uh, in your face and very, this is this is what the world is going to give mm-hmm. to you, so you better be prepared for it. But it was also genius in the same mm-hmm. way. So uh, it was tough love for me. Yeah. No, not Mr. Miyagi. No, 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 not at all. <laughs> not at all. Um, but it was professional to be with someone who was running a major American theater and black and queer and directing at that time the landmark play of the century, Angels in America. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that was amazing. Robert, that that really tracks just having worked with you as an actor now that George that you learned it from George C. Wolf. That tracks to me. <laughs> You, because I feel like in a way you are a, you are a little bit of a, a blend of Miyagi and this energy <laughs> that you're describing, in that, in that you give us so much space, but there is tough love, you know, which you know is is really exciting as an actor. Well, I think it's also because, I, and in many ways, all directors sort of know that these people are going to do whatever the hell they want to do when you leave. Like, you know. We're not supposed to tell the actors that. <laughs> they don't give a damn what you say right now. Like, all of them nodding in front of you. They're going to go out there and take as many, have, as I've been saying to my cast, put in as many bits as they want, take pauses <laughs> where a pause ain't ever been. You know, so, <laughs> sometimes you just have to go, you know, I'm going to be watching you and I know what you're about. To do. So that's. <laughs> That's a little bit of Miyagi and also tough love because you know you have no control. After the curtains open, they are going to do whatever the hell they want to do. <laughs> did, did you ever come back to a preview of Slave Play where they didn't know you were there, and the next day you were <laughs> you had to send yes. over a textbook of notes and, and yes, <laughs> that was called Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, <laughs> Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. That was every day. You just have bits, uh, upon bits upon bits on top. My, of Listen, I don't know anything about any bits. <laughs> I, one of my favorite memories being in the theater is is after several performances post opening, being back the night the director's back for the first time, and just watching his face. <laughs> being horrified throughout act one and then staying far away from him during intermission. <laughs> I've had that experience. Now I remember getting a note saying one of the actors turned to the audience and said, stop knitting <laughs> in the middle of the, of the play. Now the first, the second act is an hour long scene with nothing but talking. And one of the actors broke character, turned to the audience and said, stop knitting. <laughs> And I won't say which actor it is, 
<laughs> but one of the actors got on stage and was chewing bubble gum, got up, went to the front of the stage, took a tissue and put the bubble gum in it and sat down. <laughs> and I'm just like, what is going on on this stage? Wait, that, that happened in slave play? Yes, both of them happened in slave play. Both of them. Oh. Well, I, I, I remember the one, the other I do not. Yes. Um, well, Atu is not our culprit. That's what we're doing <laughs> <know>. here. No. <laughs> but I think that because, you know, when we when we did that scene, it was really a sort of like orchestrated, right? And that everyone was trying things. And what I would say to them is like, there's eight of you on the stage. If we pull focus, the audience is not going to look at what we're supposed to be looking at. So everyone had right. to be aware when it was their moment and when it wasn't their moment. And so there was a relaxation that happened. So the audience feels that, oh, this is just happening naturally. But every part of it is orchestrated. Um, and I remember the moment in, uh, um, in rehearsal, I think, Atu, when uh, uh, you were about to do your monologue and you went to... The, and, and you went to the door, didn't go to the door. I don't know how that, how do you remember that experience of going to the door and coming back and saying what I, uh, that line that you come back with, you know what I'm talking about? Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm done. Um, it's, it's like, it's, it's when I, uh, I, I expelled all of this aggression. I'm done. Right. Right. Um, and then I come back. I don't remember I what I that said, was. I think I said, why don't you just leave and go to the door and then come yeah. right back? <laughs> yes. And is that turning yeah. around from the door that I think everyone, especially everyone that was black in the audience, mm-hmm. recognize of that I'm I'm done with this. Oh, wait a second. I'm not done with this. I have more to say. <laughs> I have got more to say. Exactly. <laughs> Robert, and it was like, and it was such a genius, it was such a genius note because it was like a launching pad. Mm-hmm. You know? It was really like a I could really say I'm done and mean I'm done. Exactly. You can complete that phrase. Yes. Mm. And and really and really like from from my insides know that I have more I need to say more, you know. There was there was a real need in that in that note and I just it was genius. Yeah. It's like, you know, when your mother or your father goes, you know, go to your room. I don't want to speak to you. And then they show up right at your room as you're there's like and by the <laughs> <laughs> or when they say, you know, uh, are you are you listening to me? Are you answer me? And you answer like, don't speak back to me. Shut up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that sort of moment. That's amazing. Yeah. So That's recognizable. Amazing. Yeah. Do you do you think about what it would be like to do the show this coming fall or winter, whenever theater is back? Do you have you has that crossed your mind? Like what it would have been like if this was now your time rather than fall of 2019 yeah i yeah i i think about that a lot i mean i by the time we were done with slave play you know there was an exhaustion that had sort of set in because the play is physically rigorous and but more so it's it's mentally and emotionally rigorous Mm -hmm. and you know i the thing i kept saying to folks was i you know I don't get to stop being black and queer and experiencing these things when I leave this theater. It's not something I can take off in any way. And so the play just sat with me um, eight times a week, but also just in my life. So by the end of it, I was a little like, I need some space from this play. Mm -hmm. Um, 
But when I tell you what has happened in the world, I feel galvanized. I feel it's necessary. I feel that I, I, I would tomorrow use any, I would wring myself dry to do this play because I feel like what's being talked about is so, uh, that this conversation is deeply necessary. It was when we did it and it's even more so now. And you know, the interesting thing is that we were scheduled to do um, uh, a production of it, to do the Broadway production uh, of it in uh, LA um, mm. uh, this at this time, actually. Mm. Um, uh, and so that was canceled. And so now they're gearing up to try and, and do it again next season in LA. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, my feeling is that, you know, it is difficult, right, to go, because I'm, as Atu says, we can't take off uh, the trauma of it. Yeah. Uh, and, 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 and so is even thinking about doing it at this point is, uh, is, is thrilling. And at the same time, is a terrifying, um, which is also, I think, where theater is the best, where, right. you know, mm-hmm. where there's an excitement and there's a fear as well uh, in, yeah. in the execution. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, we'll see. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I, I look forward to it being mounted in Los Angeles and having audiences post- I don't know what we call this post COVID <laughs> post racial reckoning post Trump trauma. Exactly. Yeah. Post trauma. That's, and that's and the best post way to Trump. Trumpa. Amen. Trumpa. It's a new term. Coin <laughs> it. Trademark. Coined here on this podcast <laughs> with these guests. Trumpa. Oh, I love it. Atu, what was your yeah. first professional show? Um, I, uh, in college, I was, I did theme park shows at Hershey Park <laughs> in the summers, but my like proper, proper, like, uh, uh, first theater job was, uh, in 2007, they did the 40 year anniversary concert of hair, mm. which then turned into a Delacorte run, which then turned to a Broadway show. Um, and so like that was a little bit of a dream for me um (laughs) to have my first like real like I got my equity card doing a Broadway show Mm. so like there you know a lot of my friends at the time were you know they were doing the EMC points they were running around here doing regional gigs doing this doing that but you know I I uh I I I had the good fortune to uh begin a relationship with the public theater very early on and uh yeah and uh, that was my first my first gig was hair um the revival of hair and were you just having lots of pinch me moments to be on broadway and with that too many i mean and the the um, the, we still have a group thread, a group text thread that we text each other on. That was a family of people. You know, I think Heidi Griffiths and Jordan Thaler at the time mm. and Diane Paulus, they really brought together a group of people who felt like family. Yeah. And, um, and I got a little spoiled thinking that, you know, that's what, that's what doing a show on Broadway was like, everyone just loves each other. And, and, um, <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's kind of a dream. It kind of like seamlessly works. Um, but no, that, that, that was, a 
that was a singular and special experience. And uh, I'm so I'm so glad that that was my introduction into the into the professional field. It's dream time, everybody. This is (laughs) where (laughs) and Robert, you can choose to direct this dream show, you can choose to star in it, you can choose to rewrite it, whatever piece of your multi-hyphenate talent you want to uh, interpret this question with, by all means. If you could be in any show, anywhere, at any time, what would it be? I, I When I was thinking about this, I was like, at any time? I think it is, it's a future show. It's something right? in the future. Yeah. I don't know exactly what it is. I just keep coming up with 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 these two ideas that it is black as fuck, it is queer as fuck, and it is like it has all of the 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 resources it needs. Cuz to me that would signify that we've moved into a space like Robert was saying earlier where it's a commercial venture but it is supported. Mm. <laughs> like it needs to be supported, you know. Mm. So I don't know what it is, but I, I know that it's Black and it's queer and it's a huge commercial venture. Do you so want to cast know. it or give me a theme or um, is it a musical? Is there dancing? There is. I think there is movement. I think there is music. But I, 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 I have this idea that it's more experimental than we're used to seeing on Broadway. You know, it's, I think it's, we go further in this direction of, 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 of breaking form and, and, and being in space and going into theatrical and imaginative spaces that we haven't gone before. Amazing. Yeah. I, I, uh, I'm lucky enough to be able to imagine and, uh, and sometimes get the opportunity to do my dream projects uh, now. So it's always exciting to get that first instinct. And and one of those were doing classics, uh, um, which was exci- exciting to me to be able to investigate classics. I would love to do, I have, this, I have these two ideas, which of course will never happen because they can't happen. Actually, just three. First idea is an all black chorus line. Uh, mm. I would just love to see what a bunch of black people would do with a chorus line, you know, uh, where everyone is black, is black Puerto Ricans, black Italians, black, like, doesn't matter what the <laughs> for, it's black folks. Because when I see some of these black people on these Broadway stages, it is otherworldly what the chorus is doing. I mean, mm-hmm. I think about the choruses of, you know, Tina, the choruses of uh, the Temptation musicals, uh, the, uh, all of those uh, wonderful things that is happening uh, that was shut down. I just think, you know, it's it's amazing. Um, mm. There's also I would love to see a bunch of middle aged people do Annie, whereas mm. um, <laughs> a bunch of adults playing orphans. Um, <gasps> that and Annie be- too, right? Annie's also Annie like a is a, a whole forty five year old. <laughs> <laughs> Last I'm talking lady. about the sun will come out tomorrow. You know, and and just living it, you know. Um, uh, So that's a a fun thing for me. And then I also would love to do uh, uh, an all male version of Dreamgirls. And, you know, if you put the right people in the dreams, I think it was just, you know, but those are sort of like, you know, places, they're not old enough, the shows for 
public domain for you to sort of do that sort of thing. But that's a dream. My nickname right outside of uh, right after college, my friends started calling me Laurel. So this is my bid <laughs> right now. This is my bid right now, Robert. <laughs> I was going to ask you who's who's cast in this all male Dream Girls because I believe in reimagined revivals, friends. So um, you know, play it on me. Alex Newell would probably uh, do, you know, uh, honey. And just, oh, you know, so good. Pull out the chairs and let him eat the whole stage. Yeah, you know, okay. let them eat the whole stage. Um, I love the idea of you know uh, Billy Porter as uh, what is it, James Thunder? Uh, uh, you know, so there's, I mean, there's all these different people who are just, you know, singing fools, you know, and, and, and that, that play is such tomfoolery all over the place, you know, Absolutely. and uh, I would just love to see what an all black, uh, and queer, you know, yeah. uh, mm, all those mm. people that I've named were queer, um, production mm. would be, you know. Yeah. Oh my God. It's genius. It's absolutely genius. Well, you know, dreams do come true. <laughs> you have now spoken it. You have secreted it to the Thank My First know. Show universe. And... They don't let me touch Dream Girls or Chorus Line or Anne. <laughs> they are not letting Robert get 50. You got still a lot of life left, you know? You know, Robert, I, will, I, I, I see myself sitting in the, like, I will be in the audience for one of these. I don't know which it will be. But or on the stage for the Dream Girls, like I said. <laughs> <laughs> Trustees of estates change over time. Who knows? Right. Who knows? You know, there is a, there is actually there was a Motown version of Guys and Dolls, which is very exciting, uh, and uh, I'm uh, terribly interested in that because you know that uh, I I I have the soundtrack, and I was just like I was blown away by it. Um, yeah. So yeah, there's, there's we, dreams do come sometimes. We've talked about that production here on the show with Wayne Brady. And, oh, really? Uh, yeah, he he he's a big fan of that yeah. musical and that Motown production. Yeah. Um, so this leads. This is a perfect segue, actually, to our surprise element of the show, which you haven't been told about, and that is our lightning round, where Ooh. I name a classic American musical that we all know and love, and you name the theme, the emotional theme that you think is within that musical. All right, here we go. Hello, Dolly. Staircase, <laughs> walking down the staircase and eating all the furniture in front of you. <laughs> it's like, it's like, it's like Hinge before there was Hinge. <laughs> I love it. Sweeney Todd. Angela Lansbury and those pies. Pies for days. Murder. <laughs> emotional themes, guys. Emotional themes. Oh. Oh, okay. <laughs> Angela is not an emotional thing. She, she actually <laughs> is. I don't know if pies are, but Angela definitely is. No, it's a full theme and a pie. Okay, go ahead. Okay. <laughs> a chorus line. Struggle. Making it. The whiz. Home. Blackness. Pippin. Existentialism. <laughs> Circus. South Pacific. Mm. Hate. <laughs> yeah. um, isolation. Le Cajafo. Authenticity. Um, well, literally, um, I am what I am, who I am, mm. being who you are. 
That's beautiful. That's it, guys. You did great. This was <laughs> this was a, a journey of a lightning round, and <laughs> we ended up beautifully. Yeah, I don't think we got into the, like the third question, but you know, ease our way into lightning. I think it was. I think it was murder that really needed to give us the redirect. <laughs> Well, I saw was actors on the stage, and I didn't see. <laughs> but that's your—that's what you're drawn to, right? To you, that's the emotional theme. It's what those people mean to you or yeah. meant to you. Yeah. That makes yeah. sense to me. That it's—it's it's a totally valid answer. I just wanted to. I wanted to bring you over to mm. uh, <laughs> to center. Uh, yes. Oh God, um, this was a wonderful and really fun way to to talk about your play and to get to know both of you. I I was thinking a lot about, and I was revisiting the New York Times review, which, as you recall, was incredibly glowing. Mm. And I remember this line at the end that really struck me as I read it in 2021, just a couple weeks ago. If slave play can bring them to a bigger audience, even an audience that is shocked or offended, it will be a happy surprise indeed. Shock and offense may be just the ticket now. And that was what Jesse Green wrote in September, October 2019. And I just think about how true that statement is about the future of American theater, uh, even more so. And um, But not only curious. the American theater, the American politics. I've been it's shocked and offended for the last four years. Shocked and offended in, every yeah. day. Amen. I think that shock and offense is something I feel like, especially in 2020, just I carried on the day to yeah. day, yeah. you know? Yeah. 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 And your play was doing that for years beforehand. So yeah. congrats to you, to Jeremy, to your producers, to the rest of your cast and your team for making this gorgeous, incredible, unforgettable piece of work. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Thank you. You're the best man I ever knew. There's no way I could have a girl. My first show is produced by Josh Altman, MEP, Dory Berenstein, and Alan Seals, and is part of the Broadway Podcast Network. This episode was edited by Derek Gunther. Special thanks to Leslie Papa and Whitney Holden-Gore at Vivacity Media Group. For more info about the podcast, visit bpn.fm backslash myfirstshow. Follow me on Instagram at Eva R. Price.
Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.